everybody, and welcome back to Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromolo, and Super Bowl week is finally here as America anxiously awaits the intriguing Super Bowl 51 matchup between the Atlanta Falcons and the New England Patriots this Sunday. The Falcons and likely 2016 NFL MVP Matt Ryan bring one of the most balanced, explosive offenses in modern NFL history in an attempt to prevent Tom Brady from both cementing his legacy as arguably the greatest NFL player of all time, regardless of position, and giving arguably the biggest FU in sports history. <laughs> to break down the drama behind this game and the intriguing matchup itself, it's a pleasure to welcome back our good friend Shelby Dermer to the program. Shelby is a journalism student at the prestigious Scripps School of Journalism at Ohio University, where he edits the student. He's the editor of the sports magazine there, Speakeasy Magazine, and he also contributes to a Bagels fan website, StripePipe.com. It's a pleasure to welcome back Shelby to the show. How are you doing, Shelby? David, it's great to be here. Glad to be back. Yeah, glad to have you and your um, your amazing football mind back. And uh, and Shelby, uh, let's get into this matchup. What do you think makes this matchup so intriguing? I think it what makes it so intriguing is uh, really under the radar defenses, uh, both for the New England Patriots and the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, you know, you have uh, a Patriots defense that you know was ridiculed all during the regular season. Uh, and even through the first round of the postseason, not really uh, beating elite quarterbacks, you know, that the one game they lost with Brady at the helm was to Russell Wilson in Foxborough. And so that defense got a lot of heat. And then that uh, the, that same unit uh, for Matt Patricia, who I don't know how he hasn't found a head coaching job somewhere yet, uh, that same defense uh, really put the clamps on Big Ben and uh, Antonio Brown and got some help with Le'Veon Bell going down and, you know, held that Steelers explosive offense to 17 points. But at the same time, you know, earlier in the day, you had an Atlanta Falcons team that, you know, was playing very energized. You know, it was the last, uh, the last game in the Georgia Dome, and it was an NFC Championship game. They've only been to the Super Bowl once, you know, losing to your, to your uh, John Elway-led Broncos. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Falcons' defense came out and played great, too. Uh, they, they got a break because Mason Crosby missed a chip shot field goal. Aaron Ripkowski fumbled in the red zone. But overall, they were getting after Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, his specialty is getting out of the pocket, buying time, letting his receivers get open. And, you know, you really just didn't see it. There was there was a real lack of urgency by the Packers offense. And that was brought on because they knew they were going to get Atlanta. They were going to get heat off the edge from Vic Beasley has been amazing this season, uh, setting NFL records for players that young. Uh, and he's and he's learning from a great veteran in Dwight Freeney, too. And I, and I think the Falcons have great pieces on defense. And that's what makes this game so interesting is because you're going to talk about two possible MVP quarterbacks in Tom Brady and Matt Ryan, but the defenses aren't so bad either. Uh, yes, it's very interesting because uh, the on paper, um, neither defense has uh, pieces that'll scare you, and especially the Patriots, for instance. Like they were obviously ridiculed this year. Yes, uh, Bill Belichick traded away Chandler Jones. Uh, last spring uh, to the Arizona Cardinals in an attempt to uh, avoid a contract franchise tag fight with him, uh, as he does a lot of the time. But then he surprised a lot of people by trading away Jamie Collins, who I just loved watching in that defense. And I was like, oh, my God, what's Belichick doing? But if you obviously know the history of Bill Belichick and the Patriots, his, his genius of his scheme, the genius of his scheme, uh, supersedes the personnel on the field. How, what specifically do you, and why actually, do you think that the Patriots have been able to stay very efficient on defense despite uh, not having uh, 
the scariest pass rush by getting rid of Chandler Jones and uh, also by getting rid of uh, Jamie Collins because uh, aside from Hightower, none of those linebackers really scare you as much as right. Collins would have. Right. And yeah, you, and you know, you brought up a good point. And this isn't the first time Belichick's done this. You know, he Cleveland Browns wanted to run him out of town because he uh, wanted to release Bernie Kosar. So, th- I mean, this is going on for a while. And, and you know, the, the proof is in the numbers of what Belichick's been able to do. But, you know, as defensively, they just seem to get that that crucial turnover at the right time, you know, David. And, and, and you're watching that AFC Championship game. It was perfect because, you know, uh, the Steelers, they were still in striking distance, you know. And then uh, Eli Rogers fumbles. Uh, defensive lineman comes up from behind, knocks it away. Uh, the Patriots are really close to putting the game away, and they get a big interception. And then uh, and down in the red zone, too. And, and I, I know from a, from a Bengals standpoint, too, watching them, uh, it took the Bengals eight plays inside the five-yard line to score one touchdown against the Patriots in Foxborough uh, this season. They, they were stopped on a fourth and goal, and, and Andy Dalton had a touchdown run. And then last week, uh, you see that the, the, the biggest turn in the game was 17-6 to Patriots leading. Steelers score a touchdown. It's called that Jesse James is down at the one-yard line. So first and goal at the one, it, it, they end up stopping Pittsburgh three straight plays, forcing fourth and goal at the five. A chip shot field goal, yes, but you know you leave points on the board, and, and that's just something you can't do uh, with the Patriots. And and what makes it great is that this defense doesn't have to be perfect. You know, it, if they can get one turnover, you have to play a perfect game, just a perfect game, to to beat the Patriots in the playoffs. And David, you know this too with the Broncos in the AFC Championship game last year. They had to play a perfect game. They had to get after Brady. Von Miller had a pick in that game. They sacked Brady six times. They hit him double digit times. Still at the joyful end, memories. Still, at the end of that game, the Patriots are a two-point conversion away from tying it and going to overtime. None mind you that the Patriots opted to go for it on fourth down twice in field goal range and opt to Steven Guskowski field goal. And it, things could have got really interesting had they even decided once to kick a field goal. So you know you have to catch a few breaks here and there. You have to play a perfect game to beat the Patriots in the playoffs. So that's why I think this defense can be so effective is because they don't have to be perfect because they know when they come off the field, a future Hall of Famer is going to play offense for them. Uh, that is very true, and thank you for those memories to the Broncos <laughs> game. And I don't take uh, your uh, uh, that, that uh, break thing as a slight because you do have to catch breaks in, in football. Football is a very complicated game. Yeah, uh, co- yeah, completely. Uh, thank you for um, uh, bringing back those uh, memories of that Broncos game, uh, Shelby. You're, you're definitely absolutely right. You need to catch some breaks against a, a well-coached team like the Patriots. But now that we're still talking about the defenses, uh, one of the key factors that could determine who comes away with the Lombardi Trophy, the 51st uh, Lombardi Trophy to be exact, is, in my opinion, which defense either forces more turnovers or punts. And I'm kind of leaning towards uh, uh, maybe the latter because neither of these two offenses are known to turn the ball over um, right. uh, that often. Um, uh, uh, yes, and uh, and let's uh, go uh, more to like the game plan. What do you think is the key, big key for the Falcons defense to contain the Patriots offense and vice versa? Well, the the key for the Falcons defense is, is I'm going to remind you of some good memories again. It's, it's pressuring Brady. You know, the Steelers only sacked Brady one time. That came in the first quarter of that game uh, when the score was three to nothing. But, you know, and, and it, it holds true for a lot. For You could say that about every quarterback. If you pressure them, they're going to make mistakes. And But for, for, for some, if you don't pressure them, they can still make mistakes. And t- Tom Brady doesn't usually make a mistake if he has time to throw. And, you know, it, and he's going to get the ball out quick. 
So you've got to have your edge rushers. You've got to have your Dwight Freen and your Vic Beasley. They have to come off the edge. They have to force some havoc so that Brady can't for, can't uh, easily complete those little crossing routes that we saw to Julian Edelman and Chris Hogan and Martellus Bennett and Danny Amendola. And it, for the Patriots' defense, it's really just which person – which factor on the offense is bill belichick going to key up on because as we know belichick will do anything but lose to your best player if you know if if the patriots are playing the Bengals, aj green's not going to beat the patriots last week antonio brown seven catches for 77 yards three catches in the first three quarters he wasn't going to beat the patriots bill belichick's going to take away your best offensive player and i think that's honestly going to be julio jones he's a top five wide receiver in the game so for the Patriots, it's going to be taking away Julio Jones, which I think they can do because they've proven to do it time and time again with opponents with their opponent's number one receiver, and seeing if they can key in on Devontae Freeman because what Atlanta's offense has that not a lot of teams do is they have two dual-threat running backs. Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman can both run the rock, and they can both run a very good uh, route out of the backfield. And you just traded away two of your best coverage linebackers uh, – either before this season or during. So Bill Belichick, you know, if you're going to key in on Julio Jones, is that guy you're going to stop? What's your game plan? He's got to have something. He's got to have something in store, whether it's a, 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 a one safety look and bring one safety up to stop these two running backs out of the backfield. Oh, you, you just brought up an excellent point there. I was having a conversation with somebody this morning and I personally, and I, I told him this, I believe that this Falcons offense could be the most difficult test for Bill Belichick in his entire football life. I really mean that. Well, uh, maybe well, as maybe as a head coach, because you know this was Bill Belichick's a guy that was a defensive coordinator against uh, yes. Jim Kelly. Uh, uh, yes, and, and, it, 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 uh, yes, and that gives me. And I thought of that game plan in that game where he totally conceded the run to Buffalo. Yes. It, it returned for um, uh, choking off their passing game by exactly. dropping as many as eight or nine in coverage uh, simultaneously. Uh, but this is uh, kind of difficult because uh, there isn't really any coverage linebackers that the Patriots have that could cover Coleman and Freeman. But even if they do take away Coleman and Freeman in the flat, you still got Mohamed Sanu. You still got Taylor Gabriel, who could hit a home run in yep. a flash. And you got Austin Hooper, who has made some uh, big catches for them. Um in several games, and Levine Toilolo has also made some catches. Yep. The Falcons just have so many options that th- that this is. Uh, I-, I might have been a little hyperbolic there, but this is easily Bill Belichick's toughest test since that K gun offense in Buffalo. I'm not. I saying- don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, David, they they beat the greatest show on turf in Brady's first Super Bowl too. Held them to 17 points and 14 of them in the fourth quarter. So you know oh. that was. Why did I forget that? You are and that's so with, right. That's Absolutely. with Marshall Falk and Isaac Bruce. So I, I just don't put anything past Belichick to stop anyone. Uh, neither do I. That's not my point. Yeah. But I, I was yeah. just trying to explain why it's going to be one of his oh, more difficult. Oh, definitely. Ones. Even it prob- I would argue it's as difficult as the greatest show on turf in some uh, fashion because uh, they have more. There's even more mouse defeated that offense. Abs- absolutely, David. I mean, there's too much to stop, and we've seen it through two playoff games. No one's no one's even came close. The Falcons beat the pa- beat the Packers. You know, by the by the halftime, it was thirty-one and well, Julio's touchdown made it thirty-one nothing, and that game was over. So it's it's really a pick your poison. It, it it absolutely is. And for the record, once again, I was not underestimating Belichick at all. I expect him to come up with a right. bold 
game plan, like the one he did in uh, that uh, Super Bowl when he was defensive coordinator of the uh, Giants against the Bills. I think you're going to see some of that game plan um, uh, put in place uh, this time around uh, as well. And aside from uh, the defenses, um, uh, the defense that either forces more turnovers or punts being a deciding factor, what other deciding factors uh, do you think uh, loom large uh, in this game? Well, and every every game has field position, uh, you know, as a big part of it. And Bill Belichick, and he's such a master at doing at doing that. And Dan Quinn is so or inexperienced as a head coach. You know, this is only his second season. And you know what what little mind games is Bill Belichick going to play with Dan Quinn? What's he going to bait him into doing? Because it, I don't know if you've ever got a chance to watch the documentary on the last Super Bowl team for the Patriots. It's Belichick at the goal line when the Seahawks are going into score. And, you know, the announcers are telling him to take a timeout because if the Seahawks score, he's not going to have any time to go down and respond to that. And the game relatively be over. And he says that he sees the Seahawks substituting men frequently, decides not to call a timeout ends up with a perfect play defensive play called for Malcolm Butler's interception and they win the Super Bowl. So what what little mind games and what tactics and and you know also with Belichick it's it's always something new. In the in that same year in the playoffs, he had a brilliant scheme that that John Harbaugh the Ravens uh, just went ballistic over in the NFL front office and that was to line up a running back all the way to the sidelines like a wide receiver when he's not even eligible and you have a tight end or your right tackle lined up two from the center, he's the eligible receiver, not the running back as a wide receiver, but you still go out and cover him, and it leaves that right tackle pretty much looking like a lineman. No one notices it. He goes right down the seam and, and picks up a big game. So it, it'll honestly, I, I'm looking, as much as I'm looking forward to all the talent on the field with those 22 players on the field at each time, it's what's, what's Belichick going to do? Is he going to fake a punt? Is he going to go for it on fourth down at some point? What's he going to do to try to get into Dan Quinn's head? And, you know, you haven't been there that long, and, and I've, I've been doing this for a long time. That is one of the bigger, uh, ex, uh, uh, what's a good word for it, extraneous? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, it's more uh, extracurricular factors. Yeah. Extracurricular factors. It, it, it's that mind of Belichick. He always pulls out like a new trick out of the bag, a new uh, play, a new scheme, uh, uh, or a new um, Jedi mind trick, whatever, uh, and I de- uh, and that would definitely be something for people to pay attention to as well. Uh, what individual matchups do you think will uh, decide this game? Like you're obviously looking at, like let's say for example, Julio Jones against probably the double coverage of uh, McCourty and Butler or McCourty and Ryan right. or a combo of two of the three. And uh, but I think there's a, some more. Um, uh, uh, what individual matchups to watch? Which ones will you be watching for early on? Well, the, off the top of my head, I'm looking at you know the Patriots tackles against Vic Beasley because he's so lethal off the edge. We've already talked about Beasley a little bit, and then mine also. You mentioned the double coverage of Julio Jones. Okay, so if it's McCourty or Ryan or Butler, um, they're probably going to have help somewhere. So my my big matchup is that other corner going up against Muhammad Sanu and Taylor Gabriel. And and you mentioned you mentioned it perfectly, David, is, is how lethal this offense is. And there's still Taylor Gabriel, there's still Muhammad Sanu, both first year Falcons coming in from the AF, from AFC North teams. And how are they going to defend that if if they're if you're giving so much attention to Julio Jones, which he rightfully deserves, and that you know uh, Butler is up to the challenge, 
you have to have some different schemes to stop because, you know, right out of the blue, they could throw a jailbreak screen to Taylor Gabriel. And, you know, he's, he's maybe not as fast as Tyree Kill, but he's still got great speed and he can juke and dance and pick up 20 yards just like that. And so it'll be really, I'm, I'm interested to see the Patriots secondary uh, going up against uh, what different schemes Atlanta's offense with a guy, Kyle Shanahan, who's going to be on the head coaching, uh, who's going to be a head coach here pretty soon. Uh, what what Shanahan and the Falcons offense prepares to do against the Patriots secondary and vice versa. Yep, most definitely. And uh, uh, and obviously one of the big biggest te- uh, things people anticipate the Super Bowl is who the MVP is going to be because the MVP isn't always the guy you'd expect uh, because, of, for example, Super Bowl 48, it was Malcolm Smith, a little-known seventh-round draft pick. Uh that the Seahawks uh, selected, I believe, in uh, 2011. Yep. And uh, also, uh, it, the Super Bowl uh, uh, 37, I believe, which was between the uh, Bucks and Raiders, uh, you got Dexter Jackson on Tampa. That was the MVP. It wasn't any quarterback or, or skill position player that gets all the glory. And... Uh, and in this Super Bowl, about people might ex- be expecting like either Brady or Ryan to be the MVP of the game, but I think there's some under the radar candidates on both teams. And uh, uh, and let's uh, break them down. Uh, for, let's start with the Patriots. Who are some uh, under the radar MVP candidates for the Patriots in this game? Uh, I would say Legarrette Blunt. Um, you know, just when you think uh, the Falcons, or just when the Falcons think that. You know, the Patriots, Tom Brady just threw for 384 yards on the Steelers. And, you know, when they're trying to game plan to stop Julian Edelman and Chris Hogan from uh, breaking free on those crossing routes, uh, expect maybe a a nice run scheme to go along with uh, the Patriots' offensive plan. And you saw it a few years ago when Jonas Gray went to Indianapolis and ran for 217 yards and four touchdowns against the Colts. And, you know, and it could be someone like that under the radar. You know, LeGarrette Blunt. Uh, has a few good runs here and there, and then pounds it off in the red inside the five yard line and in the red zone area gets a couple touchdowns, and you know that's really all you need. You no, know, Legarrette Blunt finds a way to break eighty to hundred yards, has a couple touchdowns. I can definitely see his name being thrown into the conversation, but at the same time, besides the obvious, you know Tom Brady and Matt Ryan uh, from the Patriots side, uh, you have to think of like Chris Hogan if he has another performance like he did last week. He had. Uh, I think the same exact stat line as Julio Jones, like something like nine for 180, something like that. Um, but, you know, I, I'd see like Chris Hogan or Julian Edelman having it. And uh, maybe defensively, if uh, it's, it's David, it's just so hard to pick defensive MVPs because, you know, like you said, Dexter Jackson won with the Bucks, And, you know, Derek Brooks was the one who had, a, I believe, two pick sixes in that game. And Dexter Jackson still won the MVP, so it's it's a little it's a little tough to uh, predict defensive MVPs. It's almost you know take your pick of who's going to have a defensive touchdown, and maybe that person will win it. Uh, that is a good point. Although with last year's uh, Super Bowl MVP Von Miller, uh, he got it for different reasons uh, because he right. forced two touchdowns. But that's another story. Uh, but uh, and let's go back to Legarrette Blood for a second. I totally agree with Legarrette Blood being that. Um, uh, candidate for MVP of the Patriots, not named Tom Brady. And here's why. Bill Belichick, or or it was Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick's mentor, 
in that Super Bowl between the Giants and the Bills uh, many years ago, he told uh, 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 whoever was quarterback, I believe it was Jeff Hostetler was quarterbacking in the game, to, quote, shorten the game, meaning right. keep Buffalo off the field for long stretches of time, ground and pound it away. I think Belichick might not be afraid to um, uh, use Blunt uh, in a similar fashion and try to keep the Falcons off the field for long stretches. I think he might want to slow it down a little bit to keep them off the field. And it, nah, that's what led to uh, Otis Anderson being named uh, the Super Bowl MVP of that day, if I'm not mistaken, for the yeah. Giants. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you see that as a possibility that Belichick might be willing to slow it down on offense to keep the Falcons off the field? Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's the best way to do it. You, you take any high-flying offense off the field and, and you know, that, it can't be a bad thing if you're sustaining drives and not turning it over. And, you know, I think any day of the week – uh, Belichick would take a 14 or 15 play drive, even if it resulted in a field goal, because it puts the pressure. And that's exactly what he did to the Rams in 2001 is, you know, he, he had those long drives. He was handing the ball off and Tom Brady was efficient, short passes, much like he still does today. And that's what kept the Rams uh, held to three points until the fourth quarter. And, and, and by doing that, you know, at keeping a high flying offense like that on the sidelines, they look up at the scoreboard and, oh my gosh, it's 10 to seven. And it's the start. It's we're midway through the third quarter because you know we've only had the ball two or three times. So yeah, that's that, and that was part of my point of uh, you know Legarrette Blunt winning the MVP award. Also, I think he's such he's so good inside the red zone that you know if if you throw a couple touchdowns on his stat line, it'd be hard to not give him the award. Most definitely. And uh, what about some potential MVP candidates on the Falcons not named Matt Ryan? Well, I could, I could meet, I could see it the same way with, uh, you know, the running backs, Devontae Freeman. Uh, Freeman's been so good to me, at, at, at so looking good to me on the field. Uh, just the way he can, you know, he can break certain plays, and, and he's he's very shifty too, and 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 it's uh, really underrated uh, his moves in the open field, and he's just so good uh, in between the tackles too. You know, he's great vision to bounce back inside, break it outside, but he's so good uh, catching the ball too. So. You know, outside of, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to take away Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, you know, the two top playmakers on that team. I'd have to say the next runner-up would be uh, uh, would be Devontae Freeman because he, he has the ability to break plays both uh, on the ground and in the passing game. Absolutely. And another potential um, uh, super sleeper MVP I have is Taylor Gabriel. Uh, whenever I was able to catch the Falcons this year, whether watching Red Zone or one of uh, their games, actual uh, game, full games live on TV, uh, Gabriel, like he just adds another unique dimension to that offense because of his home run hitting ability. I'm not saying he's necessarily Tyreek Hill, but uh, right. he is like the guy you go to when you need a spark. And right. let's say if the Falcons uh, have to like really grind out to win, and they're, they're obviously going to have to grind out to win, beg your pardon, right. they are going to have to grind out to win. And But in order to do so, they're going to need several sparks here and there. And what if Taylor Gabriel makes two or three explosive plays that lead to the scores that um, uh, contribute to a Falcons victory? Uh, I think he could be in the MVP running if that happens. Right, exactly. And, and, and you know, that's what you can honestly say that about every, every player, you know, it, the Falcons could be in a hole and Matt Ryan hits Muhammad Sanu for an 80-yard touchdown. Just like that, he's over, well, I'm guessing he'd probably get over 100 yards that game and have a touchdown. Or, you know, whenever you have a, 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 a playmaker with that splash ability, you know, you, he's obviously an, 
an under the radar target, but still, or yeah, an under the radar target, but you know, still uh, a possibility that Gabriel he has, he has such good playmaking abilities. And I think I saw it in maybe the Cardinals game, or uh, might have been against uh, Chris's Bucks, where he had a he had a couple long touchdowns, something like that. But he he is a home run hitter, and and definitely on the radar for MVP if uh, he can he can hit some home runs in this game on Sunday. Absolutely. And uh, now let's move on to like the uh, obviously it's the, the product on the field that counts. But what uh, right. what makes Super Bowl week as fascinating as it is, is the pregame storylines coming into the game. And uh, which ones uh, what do you think is the biggest storyline headed into this game on both sides? Well, OK, for we obviously know what it is for the Patriots. So I'll wait on that one for the, for the Falcons. Um I would say, you know, it's it, it is just your second time there, so you, you may, uh, you know, Falcons fans are really nervous. Uh, you know how how static the NFC South is uh, with division winners every year. They don't know how long this window is going to be. I personally think it'll be a long window, but you have to look at that Alex Mack injury. Um, you know, it, ankles are so are so uh, iffy, especially for offensive linemen, because you, you know, David. It, a handoff up the middle and people get rolled up on and it, and it unfortunately happens almost every play and it, you can tweak something uh, at the snap of a finger. It just, it just happens so instantly and it happens so frequently that it's scary. So if Alex Mack, you know, can't go, it actually, it makes a really interesting storyline, David, and that would be Ben Garland, a former Bronco for five years yeah. out of air force. He's a good the backup, man too. Yeah. He's the backup center for Alex Mack. And it was interesting, he lined up at defensive tackle for the first time in in December. He was called up to the active roster by the Falcons. And just last week, he took his first snap at defensive tackle and sacked Russell Wilson for a safety. So that's a heck of an underrated storyline for me if Ben Garland has to play. But hopefully, you know, also a pretty good dude is Alex Mack. So uh, hopefully he can go, but it's just with offensive linemen. It's just so tricky with with lower leg and you know anything down there the ankle and foot because they have to be mobile and you know the, with the possibility of being rolled up on uh, so high that it, it's just it's just scary to think about for them. And then of course for the Patriots, there's a few. First, Tom Brady. I personally think he's the greatest of all time in the NFL. Um, maybe not at every position like you said before the show. Um, but, I mean, I, I think the biggest argument going around is between quarterbacks. I personally think he's already uh, surpassed Joe Montana. So do he's I. Been, he's been to more Super Bowls. He's won the same amount. And, and you know, just because he lost two, you're not going to penalize him for going there and getting beat on two miraculous throws by Eli Manning um, from being away from 6-0. and So, uh, but if maybe if it, if it silences some of his uh, doubters a little bit, then maybe winning a fifth Super Bowl and surpassing – um, Joe Montana and Bill Belichick breaking his 4-4 tie with Chuck Knoll of the Pittsburgh Steelers in the late 70s. Uh, he can uh, put his name as the greatest coach of all time in any sport, honestly. So that's a big storyline. And then, of course, uh, the whole deflate gate. You know, Brady was, as we all know, Brady served his four-game suspension for his uh, role in deflate gate, the broken cell phone, obstruction of justice. Um, a lot of people Which were mixed all feelings. nonsense. All nonsense, in my Absolutely. opinion. Absolutely. Same here, David. And, you know, he was punished four games by Roger Goodell, who by the end of it just seemed like he needed to find some way to, you know, make this uh, worthwhile. Suspend him for four games or something. He couldn't just let him walk scot-free, uh, even though it was a whole season after it occurred. 
Um, so, and Goodell denied it on uh, in local media so far or national media so far that it would be awkward or anything. But you know, it, it would be a, a tad bit awkward if you know the same season you suspend someone without clear evidence that he comes back and you're handing him the Lombardi Trophy. And by the way, sir, uh, cementing his name as the greatest NFL player possibly of all time, you know, it, 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 it hits home a little bit. So it playing off that story, I know people like to generate stories when they're not there, but that is a story. You know, he'd suspended him for four games. Now he's on the knocking on the door of winning his fifth Super Bowl, most of any quarterback ever. Yes, and uh, and there is another uh, thing with Tom Brady going on in this game. It's uh, as you alluded to, Deflate Gate, and uh, uh, you, you definitely alluded to it. And I missed what you said, but I wanted to chime in here uh, yeah. that uh, that incident, Deflate Gate, exposed what the divide between the players and the league, and it's a divide that is. That that is going to show no sign of slowing down anytime soon as we head into the next round of a uh, league uh, CBA negotiations, which will happen in about another four years. Right. Um, uh, but it, it, if you thought Brady was a man on a mission last year, he's playing more, even more so this year. Like I think Brady wants to win the Super Bowl, and the Patriots want to win the Super Bowl to give a big. The biggest middle figure ever seen in the history of humanity to Roger Goodell. And I think, yes, they say Goodell presents the trophy to whoever the owner is of the winning Super Bowl team. But I have a feeling that Bob Kraft is going to have Tom Brady stand at his place and accept that trophy from him. And Do you have that same feeling? I, I have that feeling. And yeah, and it does represent the divide between those two parties. And, you know, and also you have Richard Sherman. Um, up there complaining about Thursday night football games. And, you know, there, there is a huge divide between those two parties. And, uh, and, David, you know, I know there's a lot of Patriots haters out there, but if if you had one reason to root for them, it would be if Robert Kraft sent Tom Brady up to the podium to get the Lombardi Trophy from Roger Goodell. Yes, and feel free. I, I And I also want to add something here, with speaking of divides, because uh, – uh, as you probably saw, uh, there was this headline going around the, the news, uh, the social media this morning saying why sp- sports journalists are increasingly tweeting about world affairs outside of sports is because that era of stick to sports has come to an end because of how increasingly fractured this uh, country has become and how this world has actually become. As we see it, uh, the divides in many other countries about uh, whether to uh, go out or turn in. Uh, but that's for uh, political debate. Not going to get into political debate, but he- here's <laughs> the thing. There's been a lot of hype about the Patriots getting a lot of questions about President Trump, given the president's uh, personal friendship with Tom Brady and with Bill Belichick and uh, Bob Kraft, who I believe was one of his campaign donors uh, this yeah. year, Patriots owner. And Mike Freeman of Bleacher Report, after the election, uh, uh, uh Spoke about how the divide was at NFL locker rooms when he 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 like brought he talked to a couple of uh, white players and those white players both white players said oh it was the best day of our lives to see uh, him elected because we it felt like Christmas and uh, at a minority players uh, I'm saying how, how scared he was but the fact that the Patriots 
are able to keep all these guys together, no matter how fractured this country is, no yeah. matter how bitter things are right now, I think has to stand as a beacon of hope to us all, that we could all come together and rise above all the, all the bad things that are going on right now. And I'm not necessarily calling the president bad or good, but it's the divisions that that are that that are almost uncontrollable right now and it and and the fact that the patriots have been able to put that aside uh, even despite the passionate uh, disagreements i believe with with brady and several other players in the locker room about this president that uh, it, it gives me hope that we can overcome the this bitterness yeah hey i everything you said david i agree with you and it, and it just it also turns to you know how stern uh, belichick and and craft run that organization and and they they are uh, strictly business, so to say. And, you know, it, I really, I just agree with everything that you said. Yes, I, I just felt that I had to bring that up because we ha- we just have to, um, uh, we have to, uh, re- we have to, like, really, uh, uh, yes, the era of stick to sports is over, but I think we have to look to sports to provide us an example of how we can overcome all of this madness that is going on right now, being this all the, the this uh, fake propaganda of uh, the extreme left as well as the extreme right. Um, sports right. is a way to help us overcome all of that noise and um, and learn what it means to be a fellow man to one another. Very good. Uh, yeah, this is why we have sports. We have sports to teach us things politics and world affairs cannot. Yes, politics and world affairs are important, but there is still a, 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 a place for sports in all of this, too, because it teaches us how to overcome it. Yeah, and you learn that growing up and, and playing youth sports and how to, how to show sportsmanship. And that's why there's upward programs with you know treating people with sportsmanship. You get a star for it, and you shake hands with players after the game, and you help people when they get up. And, it, it, and I, I re- I'm really liking what you're saying about all of this, David. Uh, yeah, all right. And uh, that's enough in the political world right now because this show is called Sports Crunch with Decron for a reason. We talk sports because we promote the good in this world, and part of that good is sports. And uh, now let's uh, uh, move on to a couple predictions. And one of them, I want to talk about the incoming Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2017. The night before the Super Bowl, as it is a tradition every year, the Pro Football Hall of Fame Board of Selectors will gather to vote in the next uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame class, and the, the, this and, and it's each class is eight people, and this year, aside from the five modern era nominees, we got two contributors in Jerry Jones and Paul Tagliabue. Although they should have put in Pat Bowen ahead of Jerry Jones, but uh, I am still remain hopeful that they will put Pat Bowen ahead, put Pat Bowen in Canton sooner rather than later, and and. As the senior nominee, former Seahawks safety Kenny Easley, and unfortunately, there can only be five modern era nominees. Who do you think will make the final cut amongst those five uh, nominees, uh, Shelby? Um, well, I I've been going back and forth uh, on these, David, and you know, as as much as much as I want to, well, I'll first start with my number one, and I think that would be Ladanian Tomlinson. Um, just had, a, had that super year for the Chargers uh, where he broke the touchdown record and 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 he was great. It, it was just a shame that you know the Chargers under Marty Schottenheimer they first got rid of Drew Brees 
uh, when LT was young. Phillip Rivers came in. They went 14-2, and but then lost to New England at home in the playoffs uh, in a very close game. And then, uh, you know, LaDainian Tomlinson had the injury in the AFC Championship game in 07, uh, had to sit out against the Patriots again. They lose, and, and he never really got back. He got back to the AFC Championship game again with the Jets. They lose to the, pa- the Steelers, rather, at Heinz Field. So unfortunate that uh, he was never able to get it done in the Super Bowl or never even make it to the Super Bowl, but he is still my number one. Um, number two, as much as I dislike the Steelers, it's Alan Fanica, the guard. Um, great career, uh, you know, very dur- durable, didn't miss a lot of games, uh, played three, played for three different teams, the Steelers, Jets, and Cardinals. He's my number two. Uh, number three is Terrell Owens. Uh, very controversial figure, uh, very outspoken, one of those diva receivers people like to um, point to, but you can't deny his greatness. Long career with five different teams, including my Bengals, where he actually had a really good year. Um, one of the best to ever do it, and there's no denying that. Um, number four, I think, is Morton Anderson. Uh, I think Hall of Famer voters have a have a little soft spot for kickers sometimes, and with Morton Anderson – you know, uh, he went to the Super Bowl with the Falcons the last time, uh, the, well, the only time in franchise history they ever went. Once again, another sad story where he never got a ring. Uh, he was with the Chiefs in 2003 when they went 9-0. and uh, They couldn't get it done in the playoffs, but, uh, you know, such a long career. I think he's my number four. And then uh, number five, I'm actually not going to go with Kurt Warner because I don't think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm actually going to go with Ty Law, uh, one of the uh, elite corners, uh, of the early 2000s, it was longtime Patriot, won all the Super Bowls with them, went on to play with the Jets, Chiefs, and Broncos, a great career, and a, and a, and a Hall of Fame-worthy one, too. And so those are my five, LaDainian Tomlinson, Alan Fanica, Terrell Owens, Morton Anderson, and Ty Law. All five well-deserving candidates, and uh, that is interesting, but I will give you mine. It, number one. I believe LaDadia Tomlinson is the for sure lock, being like the fifth or sixth leading rusher of all time. I think it's sixth. Is it fifth or sixth, Shelby? It's fifth. Fifth leading rusher of all time, LaDadia Tomlinson. He uh, uh, easily wanted the, uh, t- to run for that many yards in just it, 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 the vast majority of them in less than nine seasons, for crying out loud, is just right. a, a feat in and of itself. He, he he was just absolutely remarkable. And to have like two years where he scored like 25 or more touchdowns is just unheard of. LaDadia Tomlinson. Number two, I believe John Lynch is uh, going to be enshrined uh, this year. The new general manager of the San Francisco 49ers, um, as you heard yesterday. But uh, John Lynch uh, will forever be known in my heart uh, as the last line of defense in that legendary 2002 Super Bowl winning Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense that started with Warren Sapp up front, who was enshrined in 2013, Derek Brooks manning the mill, who was enshrined in 2014, and John Lynch uh, this year will will complete the uh, enshrinements of the entire Great Wall of of Tampa, uh, that brick wall that was the 2002 Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense with Sapp, Brooks, and Lynch will finally join him this year at last. And uh, I kind of want to see Fanica get in. I think he gets in maybe next year at next year, definitely. But this year, I think they might go with Joe Jacoby, uh, the legendary offensive tackle for the Washington Redskins, those hogs, offensive linemen, uh, because he was a finalist last year. And I think uh, this year he will clear 
he'll make it in the clear because uh, those were legendary offensive lines, and he uh, they've been talking about him for years, and I think they're going to get him in this year. Um, I uh, And you mentioned why Kurt Warner, you think, doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I personally believe that it's the Hall of Fame for a reason and not the Hall of Longevity or the Hall of Elite Stats. What Kurt Warner was able to accomplish in uh, – he, he was one of those shooting comments that make like Gale Sayers in a way, that that sometimes greatness in such a short time transcends longevity and consistency. And that's why I think Kurt Warner uh, gets in uh, this year. And uh, and I agree with Terrell Owens. Um, yes, uh, he might have been a malcontent to the media, but T.O., uh, uh, even though he didn't make the he didn't even make the cut from 15 to 10 last year, he has to go in this year because he is like uh, among the top three in all time receiving yardage. He uh, uh, and, and playing in the shadow of the best wide receiver of all time, Jerry Rice, and doing exactly what Rice did. Uh, well, not exactly what Rice did. That's a sin to say, but but coming close to Rice in terms of uh, receiving yards speaks for itself, and he he has to get in. Yeah, I, I and and I want to clarify. You know, you can't go wrong with anyone on this list. That they're on it for a reason, and you know, I. I, you know, I just personally, with I think the, the Kurt Warner debates, it, it's just up for discussion. I probably wouldn't use Gail Sayers to compare it because it's two different, completely different eras and two different positions. And Gail Sayers got, had two back to back knee injuries in a time where the medical field wasn't even close to what it is now that, it, that uh, damaged his career. But, you know, Kurt Warner had, was benched for Mark Bolger while he was in his fifth or sixth year as a starter. And then, went to the Giants and he was benched by Eli Manning and then went to the Cardinals and was back up to Matt Leinart before he stunk up the joint. But, you know, but, but, you know, it, Kurt Warner's story itself, you know, from, you know, grocery clerk and at night uh, from being cut by the Packers in training camp to grocery store, to arena football league in Iowa, to starting quarterback for the Rams on a whim, just because Trent green gets injured in the first preseason game. And it's, then he leads him to a Super Bowl. I mean, it's a great story. And, you know, that's why I said there's no wrong decision. And if I wouldn't blink an eye if he if he got into the Hall of Fame, I think he's well deserved. But I I just had a, a few more ahead of him in this class. That is a perfectly uh, justifiable argument. And I want to talk about another guy who uh, I use. I I might have been wrongly using the Gale Sayers comparison to Kurt Warner, but a guy who even fits him more that that comparison more that is is Terrell Davis. Uh, uh, yes, Terrell Davis didn't play that long, but what he did in the short amount of time, and I'm sure you'd agree that, uh, I got a question. Do you think John Elway wins those two Super Bowls without Terrell Davis? Absolutely not. Uh, you, you, I mean, it definitely helped, but you look at the Super Bowls, uh, you, you look at the Super Bowls where, you know, I believe, uh, that Elway just got, uh, crushed in Super Bowls prior to, uh, prior to the 97 and uh, 98 seasons when uh, they went back to back. But, you know, before that, he really had no help uh, running the football, you know. And then when Terrell Davis comes in, you know, he goes for over uh, 200, or not 200 yards, 2,000 yards in a single season. But, you know, when John Elway was there, you really didn't have anybody. You had Sammy Winder, who had a 1,000-yard season here and there. Uh, but before that, I, that was in 84, I believe, off the top of my head. 
maybe Bobby Humphrey had a good season. That might have been in the 88 season, something like that, but really had no name running backs for him. And, you know, it really helped him out. And I, I don't think he wins the Super Bowl without uh, without Mike Shanahan and without Terrell Davis. And and in that case, do you think Terrell Davis, even if he does get in this year, as I don't think he will because the Hall has this thing where they don't choose two from the same position in the same class uh, that often. But do you think he should get in eventually in the very near future? Uh, you know, it, it's not the Hall of Longevity, but I think he is because, you know, what he accomplished. And another thing is that that uh, 97 season or I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm not uh, remembering if he had 2,000 yards in 98 or 97, but I believe it was 98. Um, but that year, he sat out almost two entire games because the Broncos were winning by so many points. And I think it was uh, ridiculous and very idiotic of Mike Shanahan to have him carry the ball 31 times in a Week 17 game to get his 2,000 yards where he would eventually get hurt in that game which would start an unfortunate string of injuries for him. But nonetheless, he still went over 2,000 yards. And, you know, it's something, you know, uh, Eric, he was threatening Eric Dickerson's record. And, you know, it's something few have ever done. And I think in the near future, I think there's a spot for TD in the Hall of Fame. I definitely hope you're right there. And finally, let's move on to the moment we've all been waiting for. Final score predictions. Uh, Shelby, what is your prediction for the final score of Super Bowl 51 and who wins the MVP? I have uh, the Patriots winning the game 27 to 23. LeGarrette Blunt uh, winning the uh, MVP of that game. Um, I'm just very excited for this game, David, because you look at all six Super Bowls that the Patriots have been in. Each one of them has been as entertaining as can get. Probably the, in that time period, the six highest you know, most entertaining Super Bowls besides the Cardinals and Steelers going down to the wire. So I'm, I'm just looking forward to a very close game, very excited. And, you know, what coach, uh, both coaches coming out with game plans to stop the other, but got to go with Bill Belichick winning this game over the upstart Falcons, 27 to 20, future bright for both of these teams. I completely agree with uh, the prediction of Patriots over Falcons. And I certainly hope it's close given the product that was the National Football League in this 2016 season, but I believe it's going to be even more high scoring than that. I am taking the Patriots 38 to 30 with Tom Brady taking home his fifth Super Bowl ring and his third Super Bowl MVP award. So let's hope he, let's hope he's accepting the trophy. Yeah, let's hope so too, because uh, that uh, but he, it would be interesting to see how uh, that could be one of the most epic uh, images in sports history. Brady uh, taking the trophy away from Roger Goodell, the man who defamed him in the eyes of many. And that is all for this edition of Sports Crunch with DeCrom. We will be back next week and throughout the this NFL. Uh, non-playing season as we discuss free agency, the draft, and a whole lot of other things as we lead into the 2017 NFL season, which will hopefully have a better product than this season. But in the meantime, I agree with Shelby. We have to hope that this Super Bowl uh, and the football gods after eight non-competitive playoff games this year, please, football gods, make it a very, very, very entertaining, a very close, a very epic game. The sports world needs it. And, and the public needs it. And that is, uh, and you can follow my good friend Shelby at SCDermer4 on Twitter and check out his work at stripehype.com or Speakeasy Magazine, which is the uh, student uh, news, 
uh, sports newspaper at uh, Ohio University. And thank you once again for joining us, Shelby. And thanks once again to our producer, Chris Broadhead, for being very patient with us today, as he always is. He's the man in the box for a reason. And uh, very few men can fit inside that box and stay inside that box as long as he can, making our, our art come through. And that's all once again, folks, for Shelby Dermer, our producer, Chris Broadhead. I'm David Cromlow, and so long from Sports Crunch with d and stay frosty.